what they're trying to do is they're trying to say, listen, Eli Manning, we want you to leave. Like, we really want you to leave. But we're not going to cut you or anything like that. So we're just going to, like, make the team so much shittier in the hopes that you'll just retire. The thing is, this it's not going to work. I don't think the man has any dignity. There's no pride. There's literally nothing. I, I honestly think what they should have done if they really wanted to send this message, and I say this mostly in jest, I think what they should have done is said, look, we have to look for the quarterback of the future for the New York Giants. You leave, you leave uh, Eli where he is. And it's like, what have you done? We have signed Jay Cutler. Oh. Welcome to episode eight of the Unnecessary Nonsense Podcast, the podcast of two unqualified idiots rambling on sports topics they likely know nothing about for an indeterminate timeline with a hastily thrown together format. Brought to us this week by the rec.sport.podcast Usenet site. My name is Carlos Algazar, and with me as always is Dave Turnbull. Hey, everybody. Uh, do you also expect anyone to know that reference this week? Usenet actually went on for a really long time. It predates forums. The short version is this. Think about what Reddit is today. Then right. forums used to be that. There's still forums out there, but forums used to be that, were what Reddit is today. And then before that was Usenet. Usenet okay. is probably more obscure only because it still exists, but you actually have to go out of your way and a lot of times ask your internet service provider to give you access to Usenet. Whereas before it was just included. You actually right. have it as part of it. So there you go. There's your, your brief internet history lesson of the day. And we thank you for it as always, Carlos. Listen, I try to bring some education to the people. We're here to enlighten and entertain. And we've enlightened. And hopefully eventually we'll, we'll entertain. So this week on the program, we're going to talk about the American League East in our finals episode of our series on, you know, the 2019 baseball season, which is timely because the first official Major League Baseball game, I think they're going to have a two-game series in Japan, and I believe it's going to start on March the 20th. I'll, I'll get the exact details for you because it's going to be part of what I'm looking forward to. So I'll, I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit more at the end. So that's going to be one thing. But also, to be perfectly honest with you, the news and notes this week is going to be really dominated by football. Football, left, right, and center. And then we may include a brief, brief, brief snippet of pretentious cross-country running by Dave Turnbull. Pen, pen, you know we got to. You know pen, we got to. the jingle on, you know, we'll, we'll work on our jingle. But mostly we're going to focus on, so let me start off the news and notes here. Week five in the Alliance of American Football. I'm going to talk about it a little bit. The truth is, unfortunately, I wasn't able to get the video out this week. A little bit of work and life got in the way. I do still want to talk about what happened in the game because we had what might have been the best game in the history of the Alliance of American Football. Now, did you get a chance to see any of the games this week, this past week, Dave? Uh, before I mention that, I think I just want to say it's nice that pretty much, at least with this league right now, we can always say, in the history of the AAF, pretty much every week. And I enjoy that. Well, that's uh, that's really the memes fodder in the Reddit, in the Reddit page. The key behind the early weeks of, this, of the league was that almost everything was the greatest performance in Lions history. The most yards in, in Lions history, the most rushing yards, the most passing yards, the most catches, everything, everything was a record almost every single week. Right. And so I would say like this week, I haven't been, I did not have a chance to watch very much, but I'm still following it. And the only thing that, I mean, you're going to talk about the game, but my thought is like Orlando is legit. What I would say for them is that given that Steve Spurrier has so much experience, both in the college game and in, and you know, professionally. The reality is, he was, I think he was just the best equipped to take the players he had and be able to, A, put together a roster that actually is able to work cohesively. And it's very clear that they know how to call plays. Their defense is still kind of their liability, but offensively, they, they're creative. They're able to move the ball around, and they've just come up with different ways of attacking every single team they've come across so far. 
Right, and they've shown that they're able to put up those points too when they come across a good defense. So case in point, uh, last week, right, they played Birmingham, which has got a solid defense, and they put up 31 points. Absolutely. I think part of that, though, was that Birmingham has been relying on his defense so much. Orlando's ability to actually be able to move the ball around was going to wear them down. Basically, you know, let's talk about that Apollo's iron game. Really, the big takeaway from it is that Luis Perez basically, I think, has played himself fully out of a job. Like, he's been struggling for weeks. That offense hasn't been doing anything. And it only really got a bit of a spark when uh, the backup came in. I want to make sure I get the name right here. I think it's Keith Price, but I want to make sure I have this right. Uh, yes, it's Keith Price. So Keith Price came in and actually completed 62% of his passes for 234 yards in relief of Luis Perez. So that's much better. That's that's actually generating some offense, which is really the key for Birmingham. Now, unfortunately for them, Trent Richardson was able to increase his season-long average of yards per carry all the way up to 2.6 in this game from his standard 2.5. Woohoo! I actually saw a meme that was actually glorious about this. I will give credit where it is due. It comes from the Alliance of American Football Reddit, and um, it was cited by the AAF Allies podcast, so I will give them credit for that. I'll put a link in the description for their memes video. But someone actually took the time to take a silhouette picture of Trent Richardson and say that a five foot ten person extending their arms with a football would average two and a half yards. And then they basically said Trent Richardson is also five foot ten. But the implication being all he has to do is just fall forward at the line of scrimmage and he'd get the two and a half yards. That's that is both brutal and hilarious at the same time. And the thing is, I think mathematically probably accurate. And that's bad. That's that's not great. They're really going to have to that's, – that's been kind of their Achilles heel. Birmingham has a good defense. That defense will wear down. The reality is – and this and football has shown this over time. I won't dwell on it too long, but football has shown this a million times. You can have the best defense in the world. They will get tired if their offense can't create any sustained drives. The defense can't sit out there all day and be able to hold forever. They will crack. And Orlando actually has a legitimate offense, so they had more than enough capability to run them all over the field, run them ragged, and wear them out. Which is exactly what we saw. Exactly. That was a good game in the sense of if you're interested in seeing like good offensive football take advantage of even a good defense. So if you like that, there you go. The Express and the Legends actually played in a decent game. They, they fought tooth and nail to the end, and the Legends were able to win 23-20. to 20. There wasn't a lot notable here. Both teams were played kind of okay. I would say, though, that Obviously, the Legends had to come back. They scored nine points in the fourth quarter to, to win by three. The Express had every opportunity to win that game. Uh, Mettenberger played well, but not great. Like, the opportunities were there to take. That game was there for the taking. Now, talking about the Commanders and the Hot Shots, and I'm going to leave the Fleet and the Stallions for last, but talking about the Hot Shots and the Commanders, not a surprising outcome. I kind of predicted that the Hot Shots had been playing very poorly. And really, that score was flattering. Because the Hot Shots outscored the Commanders 17-3 to in the fourth quarter. That's how they were able to make that look respectable. They had eight points up until the fourth quarter. That's not great. And that's not going to get it done. So it's only when the Commanders kind of went into basically prevent and started opening up the field that all of a sudden, you know, Arizona was able to come back and make it look good. Which is typical, which is why I still wonder why any team ever plays prevent defense because this is what happens every time. I can only think of one time the prevent defense would have worked. I can think of one time. And that time is? The Super Bowl where the Patriots beat the Atlanta Falcons. Not only could they have gone in the prevent defense, they could have kneeled for the entire fourth quarter. That could have been their strategy. And I think they still would have won. It's quite possible. Yeah. It is quite possible. No, I think, I think I, I'm pretty sure if someone did the math, I think it's actually true. 
Because if you take a kneel and you take the entire time for 40 seconds, it actually would have been more effective than what Arizona actually did. Oh, gosh. Just think about that. It's a very real possibility they could have kneeled for the entire fourth quarter and played prevent defense, let the Patriots hold on to the football for as long as they wanted. They needed to score, I think, I think they were down by 25. Yeah, they were down 28-3. Yeah, so they needed to score effectively four touchdowns to win the game. Kneel. Don't even, don't even run. Just kneel. Go into the victory formation at the beginning of the fourth quarter and just keep doing that until the game's over. And I think they still would have won by three or something. That's, that's oh my goodness. Think about that. that that's, a, that's one that you can think about a little bit. Which is, makes me happy that I am not an Atlanta Falcons fan. Clearly. Yeah, we won't beat up on Atlanta too much more on that one. They, they, the Atlanta legends were at least victorious this past week. So, last and certainly not least, I think the most interesting game of the week was the San Diego Fleet taking on the Salt Lake Stallions. Now, the reality is the Salt Lake Stallions played well. They came back late, and they were actually in position uh, to win the game. And it really came down to the, basically, there were two lead changes inside of the last minute. So it was a really good, like, strong, the the fourth quarter as a whole was excellent. Did you get a chance to see this game at all? No, I did not get a chance to see this game. In all seriousness? Go and watch the replay on the AAF site and get to the fourth quarter. Or go to YouTube and find it. Go to the fourth quarter and watch just the fourth quarter. The fourth quarter was an ex- was was really good. There's a lot of back and forth, and especially the last couple of minutes. Yeah, well, Salt Lake scored 14 points in the fourth quarter, and San Diego scored nine. The fourth quarter was excellent. It is worth watching. If you didn't get a chance to see it, rewatch it. Go find it on YouTube. Go find it on the Alliance website. Get to the fourth quarter. If you don't want to sit and watch the whole game, just watch the fourth quarter. It's worth your time. Trust me, it's quite good. I was very appreciative. I feel like this week the games were actually pretty decent. I don't feel like there were any real clunkers, to be honest with you. The closest maybe was the Orlando Apollos Iron game, but that's only because the Iron's offense is so anemic. Almost all of these were at least close. Now, like I said, the Arizona-San Antonio game, the score flattered them, but at least there was some offense late. So at least it made it semi-interesting. They kind of got, they were close enough. They were within one score. They could have made it interesting right there at the end. They just ran out of time. So, like, so this week I would say is probably the most balanced week of the AAF I've seen thus far. So- well, I think in one, th- it, it, one thing it shows too is that the play is getting better. The league is getting better. The development is getting better. People are knowing their systems better. And as the league had hoped, everything's coming along a little bit. So you're seeing continual improvement week by week, which is making the teams better, the players better, but also the football better. I agree with that. But I think also a lot of it comes to along that line. I think a lot of it is that I think the coaching staffs are starting to get a better handle on their personnel. And they're finally starting to give up on some of the quarterbacks that just aren't getting it done. Yeah, and they they can scheme for the other team better too because now you have, right, we're going into week six. Now you have five weeks of tape on everybody. Exactly, yeah. So right now I would say at this point in time, if you're if you're a betting man projecting forward, I, I obviously Orlando are now the prohibitive favorite if for no other reason that they've had their act together for longer than everybody else. So they've got kind of a head start on everybody given that they've act, their their offense hasn't changed that much. And it's been it's they've only been refining it, so that's kind of dangerous for all their opponents going forward. So last thing we'll say about the Alliance of American Football here, and then we'll move on to the main news and notes. Uh, the upcoming games this week. Right now we're recording on a Saturday, and obviously by the time you hear it, some of these games may already be underway. But the Saturday af- early Saturday afternoon game is going to be Memphis taking on Salt Lake. So they're both one and four, so they're looking to pick up their second win. Then it's going to be the night game on Saturday, which is going to be the Arizona Hotshots taking on the Orlando Apollos, who will probably be 6-0 at the end of this game. The line is already 10 points on that one, and uh, unless Arizona can actually put together a cohesive game plan that lasts the full 60 minutes, 
I feel like Orlando is the prohibitive favorite here. The 10-point line is pretty justified, although given the way a lot of these games have gone and that Arizona can put up points in bunches if they get themselves together for a quarter, you might want to take the points. So that would be kind of my suggestion. At least consider taking the points. Otherwise, just take Orlando straight up. If you if you just don't want to risk it, take Orlando straight up because they'll probably win that game. Going into the Sunday games, you have San Antonio taking on Atlanta. Both teams have started to put the pieces together a little bit. I like San Antonio marginally more, but it's that one I think it could be fairly close. So uh, San Antonio's three and two going into the game, and Atlanta is now two and three, coming off two straight victories. The the dominant Atlanta football franchise, obviously. And uh, now they've got Aaron Murray as their quarterback. I think they're going to play a little bit better going forward. We're going to see if they can put that offense together. And then lastly, on the Sunday night game is going to be Birmingham taking on San Diego. The good news for Birmingham, they're still 3-2 and two, despite the last two losses. Luis Perez is out. So now it's going to be Keith Price taking over. So I did confirm that. It's Keith Price. I liked a lot of what I saw about Keith Price. Did you get a chance to see any of the Birmingham game either or no? Very little. Okay. The short version of what I see with Keith Price, what I like about him and what I don't like about him. What I don't like is that he is prone to making some careless throws. However, in bunches, he is a lot more aggressive and a lot more assertive with his throws, and he can actually gain some yards on his, with his legs. So it just gives him a little bit more dynamic, and I think he got more than two and a half yards per carry. Just to say, just throwing it out there. Trent Richardson might be might be in trouble because right now he's predominantly a goal line back. He's really only good. If you, if you get him to the goal line, he's getting the touchdown. But other than that, I have no idea what it is that, that they're going to be able to do with him. To be honest with you, jokes aside, if I was them, I would probably try to use Trent Richardson as, as a receiver a little bit as well. Because he's had bunches where he's actually been able to be successful in that. Maybe mix it up a little more and get him out there as a receiver a little bit. Run some screen passes, you know, my personal favorite. And You maybe, do love the screen pass. I do. Listen, it was a Packer, it was a Packer staple for years. It was very effective under Favre and for a little while under Rodgers. So if you utilize a little bit of that, you can get some value out of Trent Richardson and then get to the goal line, and then he's almost unstoppable, apparently. So I think that's uh, what I'm looking at for this game. I like San Diego a little bit more in that one just because uh, they do have some defensive capability, but their offense is a little bit more solid. My biggest problem and why I would maybe consider taking Birmingham in an upset here is because while Keith Price is showing flashes of being able to generate offense, remember... Nelson is still out for the season with San Diego. So you've got Berkovici. He of the glorious, you know, helmet flying off hit. Berkovici is a little bit hit and miss for me with me. But you know, I, I leave that to I leave that to the betting public to decide for themselves. But that's my thoughts on that. Right. Sound fair? Yeah, I think that's good. All right. We're done with the Alliance of American Football. Time to talk drama in the NFL, Dave Turnbull. And where to start? Where to start? Praise be to the content gods. They, they have provided this week a, a glorious bounty. Let's, let's do some of our favorite wide receivers. We've already given our thoughts about Antonio Brown last week. Let's talk about Odell Beckham Jr. and Baker Mayfield. Because they're going to be teammates now. That's right. There's a couple of components to this. So obviously, the Giants have traded Odell Beckham to the Browns. Now, uh, one important note. Obviously, Odell already has a big deal as a wide receiver. So, you know, his money situation is already set up. They didn't have to restructure his deal, which is good. But the Browns are going to send a first and third round draft pick this year, along with uh, safety Jabril Peppers for Odell Beckham. And can I just... Before we get into this more, you know what this, this, this trade seems to me? Like, this is what it seems like to me. It seems like to me that, first of all, the Giants have totally given up on doing anything this year, which is fine. That's only but partially second, true, though. That, that, like, well, hold on. But it feels to me like what they're trying to do is they're trying to say, listen, Eli Manning, we want you to leave. Like, we really want you to leave. 
But we're not going to cut you or anything like that. So we're just going to like make the team so much shittier in the hopes that you'll just retire. The thing is, this it's not going to work. I don't think the man has any dignity. There's no pride. There's literally nothing. I, I honestly think what they should have done if they really wanted to send this message, and I say this mostly in jest, I think what they should have done is said, look, we have to look for the quarterback of the future for the New York Giants. You leave, you leave uh, Eli where he is. And it's like, what have you done? We have signed Jay Cutler. Oh. Why? Why would you do this? Because no. I can't send a stronger message than signing Jay Cutler. It's like, Jay Cutler's like, yeah, whatever. So true. Or or maybe they've just decided that they're going to give like Saquon like 100 touches a game. In which case, that that could be okay too. That, that's a good plan, except for the part where you run him into the ground. By the time you're you're any good, like it, that's the thing with running backs. Running backs, if they're elite running backs, they're going to be good out of the gate. You don't have a lot of time. Like you can very rapidly run out of time, especially if you do put the workload on them early. And if you run them early and often, like they're no good to you in four or five years. And you have no the no shelf problem. life. The shelf life for a running back is is far shorter than a receiver. For but sure. the thing is, there are ways to kind of mitigate that a little bit. You don't have to run. You don't have to rush him all the time. Saquon is capable of, as I said with the Trent Richardson example, he pass. You can do that. You can do screen passes. You can send him a. You can send him out. You can make him a receiver part of the time too. And the thing is, that that not only makes him more effective, it gives you more options. It also might extend his life a little bit because he won't be running right into a line, uh, you know, a defensive line every time, and taking those big hits. You know, give him a little bit of help there. You know, it'd be good. The other notable thing about this, though, uh, what it's really going to come down. So there's two parts. For the Giants standpoint, you know, they're screwed. But they did get a first and third round draft pick, which is much more value than the Pittsburgh Steelers got for Antonio Brown. Fact. Yeah. But then again, I think Odell Beckham is a more desirable quality than uh, Antonio Brown was. And I'm not talking about I have I'm not talking about anything in relation to play on the field. That's just personality wise. Personality wise, I would say is a big one because. By all accounts, Odell Beckham is not disliked by his teammates. He doesn't seem to have like the personal issue. His big issue right now seems to be that he's because he's basically turned himself into a social media, like an international personality, and he focuses a lot on that, which could be an issue. But he does play well. And the other aspect of it is, I think he was frustrated that Eli Manning is his quarterback, and Eli Manning should have retired years ago. At this point, those are the biggest issues they have. To be honest, with decent quarterback, I think Odell Beckham would have been fine where he was especially in the New York market where he can kind of work his other businesses and interests. But I don't think he's, you know, I don't think he's bothered too much to go to Cleveland where not only does he have Baker Mayfield, who at this point is a better quarterback, even in his going into second year than Eli Manning is just physically better quarterback right now. Also, I believe um, I have to make sure I get the name right. I think it's Jarvis Landry. One of the, uh, one of the other receivers in Cleveland is one of his old, uh, is one of his old teammates and a close buddy of his. So they have a personal relationship. So I think from that standpoint, it's going to be a good a good scene for Odell Beckham to play in Cleveland. And what Cleveland now the question is though, Go ahead. because it is Cleveland, does you know is this like the piece like finally Cleveland is making a start? Like they're actually going to get better. They're going to improve. They're going to you know possibly even make the playoffs next year. Or did things just you know go all Cleveland and somehow everybody gets struck by lightning and they win like two games? You know, because it's Cleveland and therefore you can't rule out that possibility. Dave, Dave, everyone's getting struck by lightning. That's that's silly and nonsensical. We all know. Which it's is exactly be, why it could possibly We happen. all know it's going to be a sinkhole that is going to engulf the stadium. Oh, that's also possible. What movie was that? 
Uh, it was one of the Batman movies, but I can't remember. It was the one right? with Bane. Was like, the one with Bane were like the yeah. But was it was it like was it it wasn't an NFL team, right? It was just they're like generic. No, it was, just some, it was a random team, team that was supposed to pretend to be an NFL team. Yeah, but you know what? If it's going to happen anywhere, it's going to be Cleveland. Yeah. So I, I suspect the sinkhole is the more likely scenario. That would be kind of the appropriate one. And I think it'll be a sinkhole right where they're in the game, where they're leading, where if they win, they go to the playoffs. I think that, that that's when the sinkhole kicks in. Well, I mean, if you're going to go all Cleveland on you, then you have to lose in like an extremely horrific and disappointing way. Yeah. I think, but I think that's the key is that because the sinkhole happened in Cleveland, that it would be a home game, they forfeit the game to the other team. So therefore they actually lose while at the same time being buried in a sinkhole. That seems on brand. In all seriousness, I think probably, yeah. I think Cleveland will be a playoff team this year. Like right now, uh, Pittsburgh is kind of in disarray. They're still a good team, but I question a lot of aspects of it. Like I don't have their division in front of me, but I think they've got Pittsburgh in it. They Also Cincinnati, don't they? I yes. Think, yeah, I think it's... Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, and Baltimore are the other teams. Yeah, and Baltimore it was a playoff team last year, but they're still kind of working some stuff out because it's... Although they did, I mean, since we're talking about other things, they did sign Mark Ingram. From the Saints. Understood. Uh, in free agency, which I think would be a good pickup for them. And it'd be interesting to see what he does now being an every down back, basically. Yeah, Whereas sure. he was platooning with Alvin Kamara, and Alvin Kamara was, you know, s- no, I wouldn't say slowly, but sort of more than, I guess, semi quickly. I don't know. The transition between Mark Ingram being the feature guy in New Orleans to now Alvin Kamara being the future guy in New Orleans. You know, it'd be interesting to see at 30 years old how Mark Ingram, Mark Ingram does being an every down back. Right, so I think you that division's in flux, big time. That's what I mean. I think Cincinnati's still going to suck, uh, but and I think Pittsburgh's going to take a step back. So depending on what happens in Baltimore, like if Lamar Jackson can, you know, ha- what's his progression going to look like? What's Baker Mayfield's production going to be like with a lot of weapons now or better weapons now? I, I think that's a a very interesting division where potentially everything could get shaken up this year. Yeah, that's why that's why I'm saying the the potential because at the end of the day we have to see what happens when they start playing the games. But the well, potential sure. decline in Pittsburgh is going to be a big power shift in that division. Baltimore, like I said, played well down the stretch to get into the playoffs once they once they benched Flacco. But the reality is Lamar Jackson is still an unproven commodity. We haven't seen enough to know if he can actually put it together, you know, for a full season and be able to build the team and he's going to have to throw the ball a little bit better, more consistently. That's going to be super important for him. The one advantage that Cleveland has is that right now they're obviously they're aggressively going for it. Like they're trying to they're trying to add pieces. They're trying to put weapons around Baker Mayfield, and at least Baker Mayfield has the confidence to be able to throw the ball down the field, and he's got more guys to throw to. So for him, it's like he's got options, and if they can, um, and also they got rid of Hugh Jackson last year, so that's like a huge positive. So there's like there's a lot of elements that were holding them down a little bit that have actually improved. They've improved the quarterback. They've improved the head coach. By default, basically, you know, Pet Rock would have been a better coach. Yeah, it, you know, it would be interesting to also to see what happens with them in terms of primetime games and, and what they get in terms of the schedule now. I think they're going to get more marquee. Don't be surprised if they get flexed into a, some games, even, even as the season goes on. But they're going to get some coverage because there's a lot of potential star power that they can sell. I would expect to see them in a couple of Sunday nighters and maybe a Monday nighter somewhere in there. Yeah. So we'll definitely get a chance to see a little bit more Cleveland this year. So we'll, 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 go, we'll see. So that's one component. Now think about this, uh, anyone who's listening. Think about how long we were able to chat on this specific one. And that's one of the things that happened this week. Let's talk about the next one here. I Nick Foles. I won't spend too much time on this one. Yeah, I won't spend too much time on this one, but come on. Foles. Another situation where they basically improved the quarterback by default. 
this team legitimately could have made some noise in the playoffs the last couple of years if they did not have Blake Bortles. I don't think Nick Foles is the be-all and end-all, but I think he's a solid quarterback who can get the job done. And that's enough. That's better than Blake Bortles. Well, I mean, if you're the Jaguars, that's all you need right now. The thing is, though, they needed it last year. Like, they actually need or two years ago. Like, they, I think the Jaguars will be better. I think their defense is still good. But think about if Nick Foles had been there with any kind of receiving help two years ago with the defense they actually had. Oh, for sure. They had, they had New England down. Like they, they, they were, they were in position to potentially it basically, if they did not have Blake Bortles in there, they probably could have, would have won that game. And then who knows? So it's going to be, it, let's put it this way. The Jaguars have improved. I just don't know if it's going to matter given that they might've missed the window with the defense they had. Correct. So, you know, we'll kind of see how that plays out, but it is interesting. Uh, the other interesting element of it, and maybe we'll get a quick thought on this. Let me ask you this question. So the Nick Foles deal was a four-year deal. It was a four-year deal for 88 million. So 22 per season, and Foles can make up to 102 million with incentives. Too much, just right, or not enough? Well, we'll see. I mean, I don't know. I'm going to say probably just right or too much. Uh, it's definitely not uh, not enough. I just, uh, I, I just, think. I just want to say, who were you competing with? Like, well, you know, there, there was interest for Nick Foles. There are teams that legitimately. Let's put it this way. I'm wondering where the New York Giants were. They could have. Well, that could have. The that problem is changed. the New York Giants are stuck with Eli Manning. Well, that, the thing is with Eli Manning. Okay, really quick. So as far as the Nick Foles thing is concerned, I tend to agree. I think it's too much, though, to be honest with you, for Nick Foles. I don't think you were bidding against anybody. But I think there were teams that were interested, but just for the right price. Because at this point, unless you have an elite quarterback, if you have an elite quarterback, so be it. You pay whatever you have to pay. But if you've got anybody who's under elite into the mid-tier category, you don't really care about the bottom feeders. The bottom feeders are what they are. But if you're anywhere between the just below elite to mid-tier category... I don't want to spend much more than $20 million. I, to be honest, I'd rather spend less. I don't care what the market is for the, for the Tom Brady's and the Aaron Rodgers. Nick Foles is not Tom Brady's or Aaron Rodgers or Drew Brees. But he can be effective on the right team in the playoffs, and he is a Super Bowl MVP. That has value. That, that is still some value, but I would like him under $20 million for, for salary cap flexibility because then you can build a better team around him and then be able to use him effectively. He becomes better. Yeah. So, Absolutely. So it's it's like, you know, you're you're paying for this idea that you have in your head, but then the money you just spent prevents you from getting the pieces that allow him to be effective. So it's like, I, I don't know about that. As far as the Giants is concerned, my concern with them is that obviously they don't want to they don't want to be seen as uh, throwing Eli Manning out. But at a certain point, don't you just have a conversation with him? Go, Look, if you want to play fine, but take a pay cut, man. Like we, we need some room because the, the Giants also have almost no salary cap space, relatively speaking. So getting rid of Odell didn't do anything for them because they still have that same salary cap problem. Yeah, uh, it, yeah. Like I'm glad I'm not a Giants fan. Yeah. So I mean, every team goes up. Every team has their ups and downs. So obviously, they've won two Super Bowls with Eli, so you can't discount that. No. But when somebody's done, they're done. Yeah. But at that point, you're you are you are asking Eli Man Eli Manning to do you a solid. Maybe you just like if it was me, I would be like, look, man, I'll cut you as big a check as you want. You can go anywhere you want. It won't be for lack of money. I will pay you the money. Just go. But the New York Giants fans are going to have uh, some fun with that one going forward. Unfortunately, our condolences. All right, next one. I really don't like the Giants that much because they screwed over my Packers a couple of times. I'm still bitter about the 2007 NFC Championship. Just saying. You're just bitter over a lot when it comes to the Packers. There's been some really bad NFC Championships, man. 2007 was terrible, and the one against Seattle really hurt my feelings. Just saying. 
Yeah, the Super Bowl 45 is the only thing, that, the only saving grace. And to be honest, I think that was luck. It just happened <laughs> to work out. So I was like, I wasn't expecting it. And when it happened, it was like, okay, great. I, and I'm not expecting another one anytime soon. Okay, Le'Veon Bell going to the New York Jets. Interesting. The Le'Veon Bell saga was interesting, and I've had I've heard the talking heads have a big uh, conversation about it. So let me give the details first, and then I want to talk a little bit about this deal itself. So he sat out the entire 2018 season uh, in order to refuse to sign the franchise tag, and he's going to receive a four-year, $52.5 million deal with a max value of $61 million with $35 million in guarantees. So the talking heads have focused on two components of this. Number one, is the deal any good for the Jets? Spoiler, yes, it's good for the Jets. They, they needed something like that for Sam Darnold. That, that part isn't really that difficult to ascertain. Conceptually, it's a good idea to at least try. Whether it works or not is a different conversation, but you got to at least try. Give, him, give Sam Darnold something. If you think he's the guy of the future, give him a weapon. And Le'Veon Bell can potentially be that weapon. Yeah, and, and now you know that Darnold doesn't have to do it all himself. Correct. So that, that's for the, huge. for the New York Jets. Especially for, I mean, I know he's not a rookie because he's obviously coming in the second year, but for a young quarterback to have an a all-pro running back, that's big. Yeah. For the New York Jets, this is an easy win. It's good for them. And the money isn't too ridiculous. Now, And it's probably going to make them more relevant to the Giants, which is both good for the, for the Jets and hilarious in general. Correct. So realistically, for the Jets, all positive here. You know, again, everything is luck. Injuries can happen. Anything can happen. But potentially, this is all good for the Jets from their standpoint. Now, looking at for Le'Veon Bell. So this is interesting. There are two different schools of thoughts on this. So number one, a lot of people are like, well, you sat out a whole year. You missed out on 14 and a half million guaranteed for if you had signed the franchise tag. And it's like, you're never getting that money back. And I listened to that and I'll give my two cents on it first. I think those people don't know how to do math. They are correct that if he accepted the franchise tag, it is a 14 and a half million guaranteed. So if you accept the franchise tag, you do get, it is a guaranteed one year contract basically. But your expectation would be, so if you're playing out the scenarios, this is what you're playing out. Best case scenario, you sign the franchise tag, you get the 14 and a half million. Pittsburgh doesn't really want you. They're willing to take you, but only if it's a one-year thing where if something happens to you, they can just dump you. They'll still pay out the money, but they'll dump you. Second part of it is that Pittsburgh has every incentive to put as many touches on you as possible in order to make sure you basically get run into the ground. And then you're worthless. The 14 and a half million's there, but this deal is 35. So if I fire up my little calculator here that I'm not doing, I can tell there's a $20.5 million gap between those two numbers. So even if you think about the 14 and a half, well, deduct the, thir- the 14 and a half from 35, you're still left with 20 and a half. You're telling me he would have gotten over 20 million guaranteed if he had played last season and then this season with another year of wear on his body? And as a 28-year-old running back who's coming off, another year that he would have put another 400 touches on? You're telling me someone else is then going to offer him an equivalent deal to this for, for four years and even 20 million guaranteed? What if he gets injured? What if his production drops off? What if the dysfunction in Pittsburgh extends for the whole season and Le'Veon Bell's there and they struggle and his numbers go down? Not even an injury. What if his numbers go down? 28-year-old running back whose numbers have declined. Who's going to offer him big money? Yeah. No, I think I think if you're Le'Veon Bell, this deal is great for you. It's it's not. I, I wouldn't call it great. I would call it good because Le'Veon Bell's goal, you know, his self-stated goal was to reset the market. Because he thought he's he thinks of himself not as a running back. He thinks of himself as a hybrid position because he was also the second leading receiver on Pittsburgh before he before he held out. So from his standpoint, he's going like, all right, I got 80 catches. That's wide receiver that's wide receiver numbers. And I can also be a running back. So from his standpoint, it's like, look, I'm a dual threat weapon here. I want to reset the market. I want 
you know, Todd Gurley money or better, which he didn't get. So the, the people that want to argue it that way can say, oh, well, he lost because he missed out on the $14.5 million and didn't get it. From my standpoint, I would say he didn't win what he wanted to win, but I think he still did well because the $35 million guaranteed, I think, honestly, in almost every scenario I can play out in my head, is more than he would have gotten if he had played the season in Pittsburgh. I really don't see a way, unless he's absolutely perfectly lucky, perfect health, another all-pro season where he blows everybody away, I don't see him getting another equivalent contract next year. Well, and that's a lot of what-ifs, too. Exactly. That's the problem, is that all of their calculus came into this idea. It's like, well, he dropped $14.5 million. Well, this deal's $35 million. $35 is higher than $14.5. And we're not taking into account the remaining potential, $61, if he plays the duration of the contract. So you keep telling me about 14 and a half. I don't care about 14 and a half. 35 is more. Even yep. if I break it up over the two seasons, it's more. Like in what scenario am I, am I losing here where the guaranteed money is higher? So that's just kind of the, the approach I take to it. It's like from the New York Jets standpoint, it's good. From Le'Veon Bell's standpoint, it's okay. Obviously, he would, lo- he would love to have reset the market. He wanted to be a trendsetter. But I don't think he necessarily did badly. He got to kind of chill for a year and then got 35 million for his trouble. Plus whatever else he gets by actually playing the games. Yep. So I think I think in the long run, I think he did okay, and I don't think he's going to cry too much. That's just my take on that. And as 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 is noted, the Jets play the Steelers this year, so there's that too, which will be entertaining. I'm hoping that'll be one of the primetime games. I'd love for that to be flexed in. Because yeah, that'd be great. I think that would be compelling. I think that would be because then you get the national audience for it. I think that could be good. So there's that. Now let's see here. Do-do-do. Yes. The Titans have acquired Ryan Tannehill from the Dolphins. I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about this, but I just find it very entertaining. This is kind of that lower end, lower echelon quarterbacks uh, shift, shifting around that I was talking about. I find, these, uh, I find some of these teams very odd. What has Ryan Tannehill shown anyone that would make anyone want him for any reason? At this point, if you want a quarterback, and we talked about it, I think we alluded to it a little bit last week. We're pretty confident, I think, that Arizona is going to draft Kyler Murray. If they do then they're probably ready to move on from Josh Rosen. Which means that if you're one of these teams, you know, like say the Titans who picked up Ryan Tannehill, maybe you could have gotten Josh Rosen instead. I don't think he would have done anything special in Tennessee because Tennessee is not good. But like, why limit your options is what I'm trying to say. Ryan Tannehill doesn't feel like a solution for anybody. Unless maybe you're the New York Giants. Maybe they should have gotten Ryan Tannehill. So the problem is with the Giants at this point, we're like any quarterback, are they? can they actually move? Can they actually throw a ball? So, so many things that the Giants could have done. Oh, my goodness. You didn't like my Jay Cutler idea, but how about Cleo Lemon? You know, let's get Cleo Lemon out of retirement. No? Well, it also, uh, it, it, made, it made me laugh. I don't know if you caught this. This isn't, you know, a huge deal. But apparently the Miami Dolphins were going hard after uh, Teddy Bridgewater. Yeah, sure. And he ended up resigning. As, so, for to be a starter. And he went... Uh, he ended up going back with the Saints as a backup because yep. he he's hoping that he can be the guy after Drew Brees. I think that's more plausible, and I think it's a better strategy. But think, did you hear who their plan B is? In, in what for for the for, for Miami? Oh um, no, Tyrod Taylor. Love it. Love the move. I'm co-signing on it right now. Tyrod Taylor's not a bad player. He's no, I actually, I actually, I actually, I actually like Tyrod a lot. Tyrod is fine. Uh, he's, I don't he's think he's been, a, an he overly good Buffalo. quarterback, but he's very serviceable. Very serviceable. The thing is, he played in Buffalo first of all, and then secondly, he went to Cleveland. Cleveland under Hugh Jackson. Like the man is just unlucky. Like it's not his fault. I, 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 th- I th- now I'm not going to suggest to anyone that he's a superstar of any type. 
but I think he's a serviceable quarterback. And on a lot of bad teams, I think he's more than worthy of being a starter. We've seen so many bad starters in this league. So many bad ones. That it's like, no, Tyrod Taylor is not even in the bottom 20 of starters who have started in the last couple of years. It's not even close. He's a middle-of-the-pack guy. And on a decent team, I think he'd be fine. That's It's one of those guys. So, you know, we'll see if that plays out. I don't think Miami counts as a decent team. They're, they've got a lot of issues. But if Tyra Taylor ends up there, I wish him all the best. You know, I hope he does well. I'd like to see him have some success, especially after ending up in those other stops that just didn't work out. So I think we've covered our uh, running backs. We've covered Nick Foles. we got Ryan Tannehill a little bit in there. I think you mentioned one of the other ones uh, as a rivalry game, uh, Ravens playing the Seahawks. So Earl Thomas? Yeah, so Earl Thomas has, right? And, you know, the last time he was playing in front of a, for the Seahawks, he gave the bench the finger as he was being taken off the field, uh, injured. So I look it wasn't forward a broken to... broken leg or something? Yeah. So I look, for, I look forward to that as well. Anytime there's a... I mean, obviously in a football game, one player isn't going to have as much of an impact as they could in potentially another sport. But still, I, I find it interesting and, and, and worth talking about or at least mentioning and something that I'll take note of during the season and, and try to tune in. That's fair. But from the Earl Thomas standpoint, you know that uh, one, of the, one of the interesting outcomes of the Earl Thomas signing, because you know that Earl Thomas reportedly for a long time, and he basically showed it a couple of years ago, he wanted to sign with the Dallas Cowboys. And I think the Dallas Cowboys just ended up being cheap. They didn't, they didn't make the offer. Because um, I don't know if you heard about this. This was, a, this was on video a while ago uh, during a Seahawks-Dallas game. And Earl Thomas ran down the, the little corridor they had and had a quick chat with the clapper and basically told him point blank, he's like, come get me. The message being sent, like, I would like to go play for the Dallas Cowboys. And then obviously he broke his leg. They, they, they almost had a deal for a trade, but that didn't go through. And then obviously this offseason, he was a free agent, and I guess Dallas didn't make a decent offer. This being the same Jerry Jones who says, like, you'd be disgusted if you knew how much money I would spend to win a Super Bowl. Well, why don't you go get players then? Yeah, then why don't you actually spend that money? Especially one who actually wants to play for you, presumably. That team doesn't make any sense to me most of the time. Yeah, I would say 99% of the time. It it's just bizarre. Uh, but if you ever get a chance, if, you've got, if you ever get Amazon Prime, go watch the... Um, it's not Hard Knocks. It's... Um, I forget the name of it. They've got their own special that Amazon does where they follow a team around. They did the Dallas Cowboys a couple of years ago. Very interesting. Very entertaining to watch, I must say. It was uh, kind of fun. I think as far as the NFL is concerned, obviously there's a lot going on in the NFL, to be perfectly blunt. But I think these are some of the main ones and some lower tier deals and things that were kind of interesting that stood out to me. Anything yeah. that interests you or that caught your eye as far as the NFL not, is concerned? Uh, not, not really with the NFL. I mentioned I got to bring in a couple of other things as we were talking about it. So, I mean, there's plenty of other people who have been signed or things that we could have talked about, but obviously we decided not to devote an entire show to NFL free agency. Maybe that's something we do next year, but for the sort of main big story things, I think we've covered it. So I ask you, is it time for the, albeit brief this week, pretentious cross-country running report? Pretentious cross-country running report with Dave Trimble. So I, I, first of all, I want to say I'm sorry to you, Carlos. You should have apologized all the time, frankly. Independiente has been knocked out of the tournament. This is devastating. This is the worst thing that has happened since no way. It's not nearly as bad as Team Panama sucking in baseball. Go on. So they're gone. Uh, they lost 3-0 to Case, Sporting KC in KC. My, against our rival Sporting KC? I hate those guys. I don't know who those guys are, but I hate them. So we have the semifinal matchups that are set now. So we have Monterey versus Sporting KC. 
which I feel like Sporting KC could actually potentially make it through there. And then Tigris uh, versus Santos Laguna, which I think will actually be a really good matchup. And those start on the 3rd of April, with the second leg being played on the 10th of April. So I'm not going to go into too much with that, uh, but just note that in the quarterfinals, you had four American teams playing, and they all got knocked out. Uh, only uh, uh, The only team that got knocked out that managed to actually win one of the legs was Atlanta, but they're already behind 3-0. So unfortunately for Carlos, Independiente is out. And now we hope that uh, Sporting KC can go on and, and win the tournament. It's doubtful, but possible. And that is this week's pretentious cross-country running report. That was the most merciful one yet. I try. I try. Oh, fair enough. So there we go. We've, uh, we've covered our football content for this week. See, we're going international. It's all about the football. All right. Now we're going to talk about our, like I said, our last leg of the 2019 MLB preview just before we actually get to the real games finally. I'll be honest, quick uh, quick side point. Have you watched any of the spring training games this year? Uh, I haven't. You know what? Honestly, no. I've listened to a bit on the radio, and I followed some of the storylines from some of the games, but I haven't actually watched any baseball yet. So number one, I don't know if you caught the highlight, but in uh, I think the Jays game against the Phillies, they hit uh, Bryce Harper. I did not know that. I knew, I knew he was really perturbed at the fact that they played uh, a four-man outfield. They went all softball on him. Right. And actually, oh, did you hear about that? No, that one I don't think I caught. So they played they played a four-man outfield. Yeah. And then had nobody on on the uh like from the batter's point of view, nobody on the left side of the infield. Okay, interesting. Sorry, Bryce Harper was quite upset that they only played that sorry, not they only, but they put in four outfielders in against his at-bats. Yeah, that's That was the defensive lineman. But here's the thing. Who cares? The reality is like, uh, like Bryce, it's it's not dissimilar to running the shift. Like you know, you and in spring training especially, you can afford to experiment. You can play. Of course, I mean, what's what's spring training for? I mean, obviously to get in shape and a few things of that. But I mean, if you're going to experiment and see how things work, it's way better to do it in spring training than it is to do it in the middle of the season when who knows precisely yeah when the, the truth is I, i've been out on uh, spring training games for a while mainly because when it comes to spring training the records don't mean anything you know if you win if you win spring training congratulations good for you uh you know there have been plenty of years where the jays were almost 90 lost teams and they had the best record coming out of Sp- grapefruit league awesome good for you so what I am eager to see baseball, but I really want to see it in the proper format where my starters play nine innings. I want to see it, you know, in where I actually see what the lineup really looks like rather than a lot of experiments like that, like that Bryce Harper point. I will. uh, So the specific uh, thing that I was talking about with the Harper was that in the spring training game, he was hit in the right ankle by a 96 mile an hour pitch from reliever Trent Thornton, also known as our new hero. So obviously the Phillies fans were very upset about it. Trent Thornton had to uh, apologize because a lot of people on social media possibly out of the Philadelphia area, who are known as loving, you know, caring, compassionate people. Um, you know, they were somewhat upset by this. Uh, all indications, to be honest, it was, it was. I, I think the pitch just got away from him. It was an accident. But it is kind of funny that right after signing that mega deal now, it's like, oh my God, Bryce, no! In a spring training game of all things. So that was kind of entertaining for me. But uh, for the spring training games as a whole, like, I used to, um, true story, when I was in uh, high school, I actually would sneak in a little a radio so that I could listen to spring training games during classes. Nice. But that was like, you know, that was when I was at the peak of my baseball fandom where I was like, I, I just want anything. You know, even, even a spring training game in radio, I would like to listen to it. Something. But yeah, as I've gotten a little older, it's like spring training just does nothing for me. Like I'll watch the games. It's like, 
I struggle with it a little bit. Regular season is better, obviously, but um, I find like my the the baseball juices really don't get flowing until the playoffs, where you know the pitches have that extra tension, where you really get that going. A big a big matchup is good still, but uh, playoffs is really where it's at. Baseball, I think, has lost a lot of that, and a lot of it is going to come back to if they're able to improve the television product, because right now watching on television. Watching live is painful because I'm forced to watch commercials. Watching on television is painful because I'm forced to watch commercials. And they're too long. And there's too many breaks and stoppages and plans. Like, guys, just play the game. I want to watch the game. Yeah. Just let me see what I'm watching. Which is why I imagine a trip to Buffalo will be in our near future. I think so. I think Triple a little a. bit of Bisons will get to see some Vladdy Jr. Now, with that beautiful segue, into the American League East. I'll drive a little bit as far as the teams are concerned. I'm not going to have too much in-depth on the players. Unfortunately, the same issue with life getting in the way and work. Uh, taking all my time hurt my research but i do know this division semi well so i think we're, we'll we'll manage all right let's get out of the way first baltimore orioles i kind of want to use the quote from the white from the white Hold on, before you go you got it you got to give your uh, one through five all right first. baltimore orioles are last shocking no one i'm going to take the yankees to actually surpass the red Sox, but the red Sox are going to be second in my opinion followed by the tampa bay rays followed by the toronto blue jays and taking up the rear is the baltimore orioles and I have the exact same this week. Yeah. So what I'll say is I kind of wish that the uh, that the write-up on the Orioles was summed up in the same way as the Red Sox one. Sorry, as the White Sox one. Even if they lose 100 games, they'll be better than last year because they have to be. They can't be yeah. worse. They lost 115 games last year. I, I, I will boldly predict that they will lose 114 or less. I feel that's fair. That's about uh, all I can guarantee because the team's still going to be terrible. You know, with a new GM and a new uh, and a new manager, right? And a young GM too. It's only thirty six. So, uh, and right, Mike Elias or Elias is the GM, and Brandon Hyde is a new manager. I feel, you know, you, you never know what you're going to get. I mean, we have a, another team in this division that has a new manager too. Uh, so we'll see. Can I read you um, one thing really quickly? Of course. Okay. The scouting report. So this is one of the uh, one of the research elements I use. Like I said, I haven't had a chance to read through it ahead of time, but I'm just looking at it right now. Opposing scouts size up the Orioles. Not quite as good as the White Sox quote, but let me give you still a good quote here. If you're going to Camden Yards, make sure to enjoy the sight lines and the crab cakes because the team is abysmal again. The difference now is that they're finally acknowledging it so they can start fresh. That's your silver lining. I love it. I lo- Whoever writes this is my hero. I want their autograph. Yeah. Still not as quite as good as the uh, White Sox one. No, the White Sox one was really, was really a next-level savage harshness that I really appreciated personally. Go on. Please continue. Yeah, so what do I have in terms of players? Um, There's not a lot here. Chris Davis no, is still terrible. No, uh, it's a couple of things that are potentially interesting. Go on. Um, they claimed Renato Nunez off of waivers, who was – his splits were uh, 275, 336, and 445 in A last year. So, I mean, maybe – uh, they also have a Cetus Escobar now at shortstop, and I like I just enjoy him as a player. Um, but I mean, there's nobody on this roster that stands out to me that's going to be a difference maker. No. It, you know, it's just as, as we had talked about before we started the show. This division really strikes me as sort of more of who isn't here now as opposed to who is. Yeah, the movement really wasn't. There wasn't a lot of movement. Like there were no big splash moves, mind you. I can't blame the teams in question. Because um, just so we're clear on context here for everybody, as far as the American League East is concerned, if you're the Yankees, you're the Yankees. They've got good young talent. They've got veteran talent. If they really need to reach into the coffers in the pockets. Now, mind you, this is not the George Steinbrenner Yankees who would spend anything. 
The Yankees have gotten more "quote unquote" fiscally responsible over the years. They're still taking, they're still raking money out of the out of New Yankee Stadium with those expensive seats, especially the closer ones. But they're not willing to go out and blow tons of cash all the time. Obviously, they did the Giancarlo Stanton deal. Obviously, they're going to have to re-sign some of their young guys. What happens with Aaron Judge? All that is going to be part of what the future looks like for them. But, you know, veterans, like, we'll talk about more when we break down the Yankees specifically. But the point is, it's not that they're unwilling to spend money. It's just they're going to be a little more selective when they do. But when they need to drop a hammer, they can drop the hammer. The Red Sox also have the budget to be able to drop a hammer. If they need more players, they can get more players. And they already have plenty of talent. So, like, that's the top of the division. The Baltimore Orioles, as, you know, that little quote said, they were almost in denial that they were in a rebuild even though they lost 115 games, which is embarrassing. So they're in no position to rebuild. And they were a playoff team not that long ago, earlier this decade. So yeah, think about that decline. And at the same time, there's no prospects for that improving shortly. You can't get a free agent and suddenly make Baltimore relevant. Tampa Bay no. is Tampa Bay. And the, and the Blue Jays are kind of stuck in the middle. They were a playoff team a couple of years ago too. And they're, they're having to do a rebuild. So just think about that in the context of the division. It's like, I'm not surprised there isn't a lot of movement. The top guys don't need to do anything yet. They can wait until the trade deadline to be aggressive if they need to. True. And I think, you know, as you said with the Orioles, like you could put up the same team as the exact same team as last year. And you'd probably still improve on how you were last year. But here's the question. Assuming you play almost the same team for the Baltimore Orioles. And this is really the only other note I have from the Orioles because frankly, there isn't much else. David Turnbull, on the record. Chris Davis, over under, a 168 batting average. I'm going to go under. You think he's going to re-break his own record? Yes. Yeah, because Chris Davis' 168 batting average last year in 522 plate appearances was the lowest in baseball history among qualified batters. We've reset the Mendoza line. It is lower. It is 32 points lower than the infamous Mendoza line. Are we going to have the Chris Davis line? Is that a new thing? It might be. If he pulls it together another season like that, he will have his own. He will have his own line. Yeah, for sure. Lower than the Mendoza. That's terrible. All right, where to next? All right, so next, let's go. Mar- let's go. Uh, let's do a little home cooking here. All right, let's talk about the Jays. What do you got? I've got some thoughts, but please start us off. Okay, so I- I'm going to talk about some other stuff. I mean, obviously, the big deal is, is Vladdy and when he comes up. <sighs> You know, this whole sir, I mean, this is something that's going to obviously play into the next collective bargaining, the whole service time thing. And the fact that guys who are major league ready aren't being put on teams because they're trying to keep them for next year, which I mean, for, from a team's perspective, makes total sense. But I think the players are going to really fight back on that one. Um, so what do I have here? A new manager, Charlie Montoya. Let's see. Uh, a couple of things that I find interesting. First of all is what's going to happen with Dalton Pompey? Is he actually going to make the team, uh, which would likely be mean he would be the fifth outfielder? Because if he doesn't, I don't see him ever making the team. I'm doubtful. Uh, the other the other thing I have interesting is, I mean, this isn't a major league thing, but we'll see what happens, is, is Kevin Biggio, right? Craig Biggio's son, who's in the minor league system, had quite a good season last year. 252 batting average, 26 home runs, 100 walks, 20 steals. Uh, basically, if he can cut down his strikeouts, that's a great thing, and and really the next step he needs to take. But they sort of see him as a as a Ben Zobris type kind of player. So if, I want I want to find out when when you know when's he taking the next step, the next level up. Right. No, I'm uh, I'm on board with most of that. Kind of the problem is that what you just outlined is I think an issue. We're talking about a lot of players who 
if you project them out, are kind of mid-tier players at best. Like, they're good players. A Ben Zobers type player is useful. You need guys like that. They, they're very handy to have. Even talking about Vladdy Jr., though, and I, I still get a kick out of how many uh, former Major League players' sons the Jays have picked up in their in their system. Uh, you know, I was wondering, it's like, you know, does Nolan O'Brien have any grandkids they want to draft? Or, you know, because we need some pitching as well. That'd be good. You know, getting, uh, you know, between Bichette and Guerrero and obviously Biggio, like you said. My problem with it is this. Regardless of whether Vladdy Jr. comes up, he's going to come up this season one way or another. They're going to they're gonna manipulate the system to get the extra year out of it. Fine, whatever. It's not going to make a difference. A lot of people are, you know, really really high on Vladdy Jr. And that's fair because he is a great prospect. But the reality is, so what? I've discussed this before. Like there was a stretch of time where the Toronto Blue Jays in the late 90s and early 2000s had Sean Green, Carl Stelgado, Shannon Stewart, Jose Cruz Jr., Raul Mondesi. And then in time, now they weren't all there at the same time, all the time. And then you had Roy Halladay. Roy Halladay's in the Hall of Fame. Carlos Delgado probably, with some could be could be argued, probably should have been eligible for the Hall of Fame and may eventually get there with the Veterans Committee at some point when they relook at his career in context. Consider the era he was in and consider how dominant he was and effective and that his career ended early. He didn't get to pile up all his numbers fully. And he was dominant for a period of time. Taking account, Shannon Stewart was a great hitter. Very, very serviceable. So the point is they had players. They just didn't have a combination of offense and defense at the same time. When the offense was good, the defense wasn't great or the pitching wasn't great. When the pitching was great, the offense wasn't good. They just never made a playoff. So it never you never got to see what that team could potentially do. But the point is that having a couple of great players, even really, really good players, doesn't actually make your team good. Because if your deficiency is so obvious, the other team will still beat you with depth. The Kansas City Royals didn't win because they had a superstar. Name the superstar on that Kansas City Royals World Series winning team. Exactly. They built a good team. Now, you can argue it's like, oh, well, you know, they didn't last. But they made it to two consecutive World Series and won one. That's an acceptable outcome. If you're a Kansas City fan, you're happy that that at least happened. That's Oh, for sure. That's something. No, I I, I think like I don't see them being a whole lot different, really, in terms of record from last year. That's you know, they like, still got question marks. You're still wondering what's the rotation going to be like. Is Aaron, Hanch- Aaron Sanchez going to manage to be healthy? He's only pitched 141 innings since 2016. That's kind so of the, a lot of. And also, who's the fifth starter going to be? Right? Exactly. There's still questions in, in the rotation. So, you know, I, I think, is there some excitement around the team? Yes, only because of Vladdy Jr., but we'll see what he's like at the major league level, right? Is he going to be the legit amazing major leaguer or is he gonna be one of those sort of four a type players who's kind of you know we don't know yet as a hitter i think as a hitter he's gonna be fine i think as a hitter at the major league level he will perform i think he i think he has that capability but you have to remember there's been there were other other guys who were the sons of great players who played very well go look up prince fielder statistics great hitter for a period of time you can't you can't assume that even if they come up and are great that that'll last, a, you know, just because they're great doesn't mean they're going to have a 10, 15, 20-year career with your franchise. But That's a good it's point, nice too. To it's nice to have. Yeah. And the, now, as far as the rotation is concerned, I'm glad you brought it up. So that is the that is a major point with this team. If Aaron Sanchez can come back and be effective, that's great. That's like gaining a pitcher because you basically haven't had him for a full season in a while. So that's great. You know, Stroman is not really an ace. He's good. But he's never shown that ability to be, you know, to take that next level. And it's not like he's 24. He's not. He's closing in on his 30s. Now, they did make a slight move. I don't know if you caught this one or not. It wouldn't be, it wasn't in this because it this was printed before. Uh, they did pick up Clay Buckholtz 
Yeah, they took a flyer yeah I did catch that. Yeah, they took a flyer on him. And Clay Buckholz was actually a pretty good pitcher. The question is going to be if he can round back into form. Now, he was 7-2 and two last year in limited action. So if they have something resembling the Clay Buckholz of a couple of years ago, that's good. That's, you know, that's an addition to the rotation. But that's the whole point. Like, there are pieces there that are probably decent. And they got rid of some ones that weren't really contributing or helping that much. But they're going to be kind of a middling team. The, the problem is, what we, depending on what happens with these, uh, with these different things that we bring up, that means the difference between the Jays being third or fourth or maybe challenging for second. The point is, it doesn't, it doesn't no matter what, even if Vladimir Guerrero comes out and is rookie of the year and hits for 40 home runs and all that, and Clay Buckholz comes out and is an 18-game winner and comeback player of the year and all that good stuff, you know, he, he comes back out of nowhere, that those two components alone do not actually mean that they're a playoff team. Like, there's too many missing pieces. Like, there's still too many holes in the lineup and in the rotation. You know, we'll see what happens, but I, I don't expect to see too much. And even though I am going to attend some Jays games this year, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. in and of himself is going to at least get me to come to a couple of games, but it's not going to get me to come out consistently to see one hitter, even a potentially very good one, because I've seen great hitters at that ballpark. I've watched them for both the Jays and for opposing teams, and it's fun to watch. But the ticket prices are higher than they used to be, so it's going to cost me more for the privilege. I can watch it on TV. And a lot of fans, I think, are going to look at it that way. It's like, yeah, I want to see him, but I, I can see him on my screen. There's just something, you know, I, I don't know if that's going to be enough to draw people to the ballpark especially if the rest of the team isn't ready to be in that zone. The good news is that he's still young, so maybe if they can build a better team around him in the next couple of years, that could be an interesting team to watch. And at least we've got $5 beers and $1 hot dogs, Dave. $1 well, hot dogs. Well, that's true. Days. There is that. Yeah, on select dates. So there you go. Excitement. Okay, I think uh, Jays Wise, I think we're good on that one. I think so. All right, you ready for the next one? Let's I am. The Tampa Bay Rays. Yeah, so here's an interesting thing about Tampa Bay. Um, maybe they will challenge for a second wild card. That's a potential for this team. I, I feel best case scenario. The one thing I found really interesting, though, is they set a record. Are you aware of which record they set, Carlos? A team record. A team record. No. They have paid out the most money for a free agent this year. Charlie Morton. They signed him to a $30 million contract. Which represents over one-third of their entire payroll for last year. Tampa Bay is weird in that way, but I just felt that sort of stood out for me. I think the problem is that uh, we, we talked about already how, how poor Florida is as a sports area. I really don't see what they expect to get out of Tampa Bay. The franchise probably should have moved years ago. I don't know where you'd move them. Montreal! I would love to see it if for no other reason then I would demand that you immediately become the uh, Montreal Rays superfan. Well, somebody's got to do it. You I mean, UP. if not me, probably UP, like you say. Yeah. No, no, I, I, I demand it. I don't care. It's like your, your child must be decked out in Montreal Rays gear from head to toe. I accept no other, no other alternatives. We'll see what happens there. Yeah. So, but yeah, Tampa Bay, it's, it's this weird thing where Tampa Bay has, has managed to put together decent teams over different years. They're not horrific. They're not Baltimore. But it's, but it's um, I don't really see where they're ever going to make any traction because any progress they make is undone by the fact that they don't draw. But they don't draw because why would they draw? So it's one of those well, things. As someone who's been to their stadium, you know, it's in a crappy location. And it's a crappy ballpark. That feels like it's you kind know? of the problem with a lot of the Florida teams, though. Like, like Miami cool. complained for years about their ballpark, but it's like, well, what, what do you want? It's Florida. Yeah. See, the thing – and the other thing is, like, 
going to a stadium the first time, if you've never been there yeah. and have no idea what to expect, you're like, oh, this is kind of cool. Yeah. Right? But, you know, if you were there, if this was your stadium all the time, then you're just kind of like, eh, so... It's indoors, great, because it rains a lot, but it's it's really there's no bells and whistles and you know. Yeah, but the thing is, uh, and I won't I won't belabor this point much longer. I want to move on to the next team. But before I do, quick point. I don't get the idea. You want to make a ballpark a good experience for people. You want them to look good, you want to have nice amenities, you know, there's a lot of things you can do that could make it fun, that could make it interesting, whatever. You're not going to get a lot of mileage selling people on a ballpark for more than a short period of time. We can speak to this from experience. The Sky Dome slash Roger Center slash whatever they want to call it in the future. That was state of the art in 1989. State of the art. It's got a retractable roof. It's an all-purpose dome stadium. And then those fell out of favor. But it doesn't matter. It was state of the art. And you can spruce it up and make it look nice. But guess what? I've been to that ballpark probably at this point nearly 300 times for a baseball game. You get used to it. You can renovate it as much as you want. I still know where all the stuff is. You're like... There's only so much you can do. I need yeah. the product on the field to be worth me attending. To, to go through the trouble, to go through security, to get in lines, to do whatever, to get my concessions, to do all that, it's a pain in the ass. If I'm going to do that and deal with fans who, in the Toronto market, don't really know their baseball all the time, I'll watch it. I'll deal with it. But I need the actual team that I'm watching on the field to be worth my time. Otherwise, I don't care how nice your ballpark is. Fixing a ballpark yeah. in Tampa is not going to do crap if the team isn't actually any good. And that goes no. for any team, any ballpark, any stadium, arena, anywhere in the world. That's that's just the way I look at it. I'm like, great, you built something new. The novelty will wear off in a year or two, and then what? What else do you have going on? Exactly. Fair. Not much. Cool. So as far as Tampa Rays, the, the Tampa Rays are concerned, I really got nothing, uh, to be honest with you. I, I'm even looking at the, the projected lineup, and I'm, I'm drawing blanks. And I, I watch this team. It's just some, some, I feel like I'm, I'm getting my memory erased from the men in black. Like I just, I stare at the names. It's like, I think I know who that is, but I don't remember. Yeah. So next. Let's go to your defending World Series champions, the Boston Red Sox. Yeah. So I still like the Red Sox. I just think this is the t- one of those teams where we talk about uh, losing players more than we talk about adding players. So the big the big one of somebody who's not there anymore is uh, Craig Kimball. So their closer, I mean, there is a potential he's going to come back because he hasn't signed anywhere yet. But I doubt it, especially with the ridiculous money that he's asking for. I think they've basically moved on. So that's going to hurt. But I also feel that the person that I feel they're going to miss more than they think is actually Joe Kelly, who is another relief pitcher. And I think he's going to be missed a lot So in that bullpen. So I feel because of their bullpen, they're going to take a step back, which is where the Yankees, I think, can potentially overtake them this year. Uh, a couple other interesting points. Uh, pitcher Eduardo Rodriguez has been working on a new slider uh, with Chris Sale. Last year, he was 13-5 and with a 3.82 ERA, 146 strikeouts, 129 two-thirds innings. He's coming back healthier uh, and potentially with a new pitch, which could be interesting. And Dustin Pedroia, who's 35 who played three games last year, is still under contract for three seasons. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. So I expect them to take a drop-off, you know, but they did sign, re-sign Steve Pierce, Nathan Evaldi. So they still got a lot of good players. They're World Series champion. So they've still got a core of that team together. So I still expect them to be a playoff team. I just don't expect them to finish first. 
Yeah, that's fair. I think a lot of it is going to come down to um, if they're going to... Right now, they're poised to make another run. The only reason I knocked them down to second is because of the team we're going to talk about in a second. Because I feel like they're on the ascent. I think the Red Sox are still going to be right there. They may be neck and neck. They may only be within a couple of games of each other because that's going to be close. And also, they're going to play each other in the division a lot of times. So they could they could potentially split those games, which is going to keep things kind of close. I think they're also going to feast on their relatively weak opposition in the AL East. Even though the teams are even though a couple of the teams are solid, they'll be okay. But the reality is that um, Boston is poised, I think, for another run. Also, I think it's going to be interesting if there's going to be a sense of urgency, given that a lot of uh, high-priced players are going to potentially go into free agency, because you're going to have you know Chris Sale. Uh, J.D. Martinez has an opt-out clause, and then Xander Bogarts. So you could potentially have the team dismantled after the season. And then you can rebuild it. You know, Boston is capable of doing such a thing. They've done it. They have won three World Series since 2004, so they clearly know how to rebuild teams. But for now, it's like you can put together a mini run of two World Series, potentially, if you can get into the playoffs and get out of this division. And they have enough players to be able to do it, and it's just going to be a challenge of if they can put together for one more run with the pieces they currently have. David Price is still a great pitcher. They've still got some capabilities there, and uh, they did bring back uh, Nathan Ivaldi after his heroic World Series performance. I say that with only a tinge of sarcasm. Just a tinge. Also, I hate the Red Sox. Fact. Yeah. Now, speaking of hatred, that is the classic hated team. Look at that beautiful segue. The classic hated team. I like it. The New York Yankees. Yeah, so... I don't know. Like, the Yankees have a good team. They've been a great team. They still are going to be a great team. They have a great bullpen. A good, you know, solid lineup, good starting pitching. Some of their moves just just make me scratch my head a little bit. So things like they they got Troy Tulowitzki from the Blue Jays, who's 34, under a stupidly bad contract for the team. You don't understand. He hit a home run in spring training against Stroman and then cheered. He hit a home run in spring training. Do you not understand? This is a yeah. turnover for Troy. You know, uh, can he stay healthy, though? And we'll see. Uh, they also have D.D. Gregorius coming back from Tommy John, which would be interesting. Um, Danny Farquhar, who is the one who had a was it brain embolism in the dugout. I think that's right. Yeah. So he's pitching for them. Uh, they re-signed C.C. Sabathia, which is, you know, I guess not a bad move, but slightly questionable, I would say. Um, you know, they got D.J. LeMahieu, which I think is a good pickup. They still have Aaron Hicks, who's got a 4.3 war in the last two years with great on-base percentage. Still got Aaron Judge. You know, so I think the core of the team's there. They were right up there last year. So I don't see, I don't see with some of, some of the subtractions from the Red Sox, I feel the Yankees are poised to take another step up and, and surpass them in the division this year. But again, it's, it's one of those I think what we, you alluded to earlier is I could see this team making a lot more noise in July at the trade deadline than yeah. they did in free agency. Yeah, I think so. The thing is, um, so I'm a little higher on this lineup because I'm looking at it and I I won't say this lineup scares me because at this stage in the game, I can look at any lineup and you, you can always see some weaknesses in it. But the reality is Aaron Judge, I think, if he can play a full season. The, the thing with Judd and Stanton has always been with me. If they can both play healthy for a full season and Aaron and Stanton was the one who surprised me by actually playing last season. The fact that he didn't get injured in some way was a surprise to me. And he played well considering he changed leagues and you know went to another stadium. But Aaron Judge can be frightening. He's got scary power. So if he gets to play for a full season, that, that scary power can be unleashed. Stan is capable of 50, almost 60 home run power. 
that's frightening. Andujar, you know, Glaber Torres, Greg Bird has been great at times. Obviously, he's not a superstar, but he's a very good player at first base. And he's, and to be honest, he's near the bottom of the lineup. So it's like, it's not like he's a terrible player. And um, Gary Sanchez can hit for power as a catcher. So it's like they set, I think, um, their team record in home runs last year. And last year, 12 Yankees hit 10 or more home runs. So as a team, they can they can put up tons of offense. They were a 100-win team last year. Like, it's strong. And even the rotation, you could say, is not as exciting as some other rotations in the uh, in the league. You know, Luis Severino, James Paxton, who could be good, Masahiro Tanaka, J.A. Happ, who's solid, and C.C. Sabathia is taking one more run. So C.C. Sabathia is not an ace of the staff anymore, but he's still a solid pitcher. And as a number five, I've seen worse number fives. Oh, for sure. So that's depth. That's pretty strong. No, I, I think this is one of those teams where... <sighs> You know, like like we talked earlier, you nobody. There's not really one player. I mean, they have some like all stars or potential all stars on the team, yeah. but there's no one player that said to me says because of them, that's what's putting them over the top. But when you take all of them and combine them together, you're like, this is a really solid team. I think that's. I think though that's the way. That's why I think a lot of the splashy free agent moves like they're fun to talk about. But like when I look at this Yankees lineup, I'm like, okay, if Troy Tularisky gets gets injured, who cares? Troy Tularisky is probably the least important member of this thing. He's just a spare part they threw on there. And if he provides any offense whatsoever and is able to actually play for a full season and play some defense, that's bonus. That's icing on the cake. That was just a, a depth move, just to try and see. Hey, well, let's see if this works. If not, we'll get another shortstop. Whatever. But um, I like the way this lineup is constructed. I think is the is the main takeaway here. I like the way the lineup is constructed. I'm I'm reasonably impressed with this rotation. And while I loathe the Yankees, the reality is this is an impressive team top to bottom. And if they need more depth, they can get it. And they're poised for to actually to actually keep a lot of this team together in the long run. That's why I say the Red Sox is going to be interesting because it could be the last ride for a lot of these components. They were an amazing team last year, and they were the best team in Major League Baseball last year. Wire to wire. They were just the best team. There were other challengers who probably could have given them a little more trouble, but the reality is it doesn't matter. Wire to wire, they were the best team. This team, though, won 100 games in that division with a 108-win team. Yeah, They're strong. And I think if Aaron Judge can play a full season, they actually get better, if nothing else, just from that, which potentially could be scary. So we're looking at probably a two-headed monster at the top of the division. I think that's fair. Yeah. So I think that's the big takeaway for me. Like, it's just... It's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Like, I hate these two teams at the top of the division, but I have to respect the way they've compiled these, uh, these rosters. And I have to look with great envy and jealousy as I look over to my team and say, look at this. Rodgers has enough money to build a team like this, but they, I don't think they have the management to actually be able to successfully do that, even if they were given the capability to do so. So uh, we have that to look forward to. Yeah. Yeah. Vladimir Guerrero and a trip to Buffalo. Well, there you go. Well, you know, at least uh, at least I got the magazine. We can always get it autographed. There you go. He's on the cover, so if the cover boy starts playing, at least uh, that'll give us the fans something to cheer about. So, I think, any other notes on any of these teams? Anything else stand out to you? No, I've covered everything I got. Cool. So that is the American League East. Obviously, uh, not as exciting as some of the other divisions, but... Did we? I know we haven't actually discussed this, but now that we've covered every team in, the, in Major League Baseball, should we do a way-too-early World Series prediction? We can. I'm just trying to think here because I had a little thought. So I was trying to work my way through this. I feel like the vibe that I get. So my way too early World Series prediction is this. 
I feel like the Yankees will get to the World Series and it will annoy me. And I think if they do, if they do, uh, it could be the Red Sox, you know, it could be the Astros. There are, there are teams that are capable. But I feel like the vibe I'm getting, the Yankees get to the World Series if they're able to put that together this year and they're going to play. You know, I'll, I'll say what I'd like to see and then I'll say what I think. Okay. I would like to see Atlanta make a run and just get there. Way too early. Way ahead of schedule. Just their players just get it and then have all that playoff experience. I think that'd be kind of interesting. So the Yankees and Atlanta would be fascinating to me, especially a throwback to the 90s when the Yankees and Atlanta was almost an annual thing. Let me think about the National League one for a second, but the Yankees is the American League one that I'm thinking strongly. But let me think about the National League for a second. Give it a shot on your side. Okay, so funny enough, I'm thinking the Yankees too. I'm thinking they're going to play, and you heard it here first, unless someone else told you it, but I'm going to call credit for this, the Washington Nationals. Bold. That's a strong move. It's not. It's not a terrible call. It would be. It would be ironic, given that they lost Harper, that they were able to put together. Um, that they were able to put together a World Series uh, team. Uh, I'm just trying to think. That and I'll go. I'll go Yankees in seven. Right there, you go. You know what? Let's do this. All right. Like I said, Atlanta would be cool. I, I think it would be kind of fun for me. I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go with the Yankees playing a team that I like that I've already said on the record that I respect. I'm gonna go I'm gonna go with the move. I'm gonna say Yankees and St. Louis Cardinals, and the Cardinals pull it out in six. Your MVP Paul Goldschmidt. Ooh. <laughs> oh, just driving a stake through the heart of Arizona fans, eh, Carlos? Not my fault. I didn't make this call. I I. I did not choose this life. This life chose me. By the way, these uh, predictions are utterly ridiculous. And, you know, there's too much that's going to happen between now and then. But it is kind of fun to throw it out there. But if it happens, by the way, I'm totally I'm totally calling it as completely according to my plan. In accordance with the prophecy. In accordance with the prophecy. So, yes. So I've got uh, – so we both have the Yankees there. I've got the – you know, I'd love to see Atlanta. This would be like my – it would be kind of cool for me. But I think uh, I'm going to go with the Cardinals because I love the way that franchise does its business. And Dave has the Yankees taking on the Washington Nationals in the suck at Bryce Harper sweepstakes. Both teams that were in contention for Bryce Harper. Rumored for a long time, you know, Washington to retain and the Yankees to pick up. So eat that, Bryce. All right. Sounds good. So what are we looking forward to this week? I got two things for you. All right. Go for it first. Go ahead. So first of all, uh, in the land of pretentious cross-country running. TFC has their home opener tomorrow night uh, against... The New England Revolution, so New which England I do Revolution? have tickets to, and I'm actually looking forward to this time. The only thing that, that I want to say about this game, like we'll see what happens. It's great. Home openers are always good, but 7:30 at night on a Sunday for a soccer game? No, thank you. That's all I want to say about that. The second thing I'm really looking forward to, uh, which is a little out of sort of my realm of what I normally say, uh, this is college basketball. So the AC, uh, ACC tournament final. Okay. Is this is what we're doing tonight. For? Yeah, yeah, Duke, Florida State, which are the the third and fourth seeds. Just from admit the it. Conference. You want to see Zion and R.J. Barrett, the Canadian. No, don't, for sure. Don't no, they're, that. they're both good players. They're both. They're uh, both so that's players. tonight. So the Saturday at eight thirty p.m. Yep. So I'm looking forward to that. I watched uh, some of the Duke uh, North Carolina game yesterday, which Duke won by one point, and which Carolina had multiple opportunities late to win it and couldn't. So I think that will be a good game. I'm really looking forward to that. And I will actually be watching that, which is unusual for me, but I will be tuning into that. So though, And if you need something that's further down the line, uh, the Raptors have a home and away with Oklahoma. So let's go there. 
So that's what I'm looking forward to this week. Sounds fair. So I'll talk a little bit about what's on. this. This weekend is going to be tricky, but I'll also talk about down the road. Obviously, this week we're going to have the uh, we're going to have the Major League Baseball. You know, it's not the official opening game, but at the same time, it sort of is. So let me get the exact, let me get the real, real timing on this here to give it to you. Uh, also, there is going to be a UFC fight night tonight, um, which is going to be out of the O2 Arena in London, England. Um, it is going to be, let me go here to the main card. Yeah, it's going to be Darren Till versus Jorge Masvidal. Not the big names on this one, but it is going to be, uh, I think, a couple of pretty good fights on it. The main things I'm looking forward to, the Alliance of American Football Games, the primetime game, Arizona probably getting crushed by Orlando tonight on the NFL Network. So that's a thing. And then as far as Major League Baseball is concerned, I want to get this on here. All right, here we go. Mariners and Athletics. If you're in the East Coast, as we are, you can get up at 535 in the morning to see Gonzalez take on fires. Mariners versus Athletics. At the Tokyo Dome, in what may be the last games of Ichiro's career, there's a little extra sizzle for you. Because you know, you got you you need an extra reason for watching, and there you go. Well, five thirty-five in the morning, you need a lot of reasons for watching. That's but, fair. But I will say that uh, the Mariners did promise Ichiro that he would for sure get to play in the two games in Japan, which obviously so go. is going to be a big deal, and I think the crowd is going to be amped up for that. So I think the crowd at the Tokyo Dome will lose their minds cheering strongly, even though Oakland is technically the home team. Which is hysterical. So uh, so that's kind of funny. Yeah. So that, that's kind of interesting. And it is the first official Major League Games of the regular season. And that will be on Wednesday, March the 20th. And like I said, at 5.35 a.m. Eastern which Standard is, Time. Which is still weird. That I mean, I, I like having like the games earlier and, you know, when you have these series. But, you know, you have two teams playing two games over a week ahead of when everybody else starts. Well, I think you have to do it for the travel. Like, oh, uh, for sure. Yeah, having the time and time adjustment and all that jazz. Yeah. But having to come just, from having to go know, all the way weird. to Japan and then having to fly back, you know, it would be a huge disadvantage to them to have to uh, to have to try to start almost at the same time as everybody else. You give them the extra week so they can get caught up. But it'll be funny because yeah, it'll be depending on what happens in terms of the games themselves. There's going to be a couple of teams that are going to be sitting there at one and one or two and zero oh, or zero oh and two, while everybody else is like, we haven't started playing yet. So that's going to be kind of funny. So we're going to find out who our early division leader is going to be. We're going to have a little bit of that. Woohoo! Very good. Very good. Excellent. So that is it for us on this week's episode. A couple of uh, shameless plugs. Before I get right into the glorious shameless plugs, anything else you want to shamelessly plug? Anything on your uh, No, I'm good. I am good. All right. You can find us, obviously, on if you're watching, if you're listening to this on YouTube, obviously, you've got the YouTube channel. Please check out some of our other videos. I dropped the ball on last week's AAF review recap uh, for week five, but I will come back in week six. Hopefully, I'll actually be able to not be buried in work and get some sleep. Both things that will help. But from our standpoint, we've got Instagram where we are at unnecessary podcast altogether. On Twitter, we are unnecessary underscore pod. Our site is unnecessarypod.podbean.com. And of course, we have the YouTube site where you can find us at Unnecessary Nonsense Podcast. You can just type that in and you will find the YouTube channel if you're listening to us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. That's it for us this week. We will see you next week. And thanks again for listening.